Wow, come on, Nate. That was amazing. I'm glad we finally got to see your feet move like that. That's ridiculous how incredible of a musician he is. If you don't know this about our organist, he also plays in a Beatles cover band called the Wanna Beatles. So hopefully one day soon you'll be able to go see him live again. But they got videos on YouTube and other places, so you can check them out. Well, it's an honor to get to bring the word to you guys today. If you don't know me, my name's Trey Heyman. I'm the minister of students here, and it is such uh, an awesome thing that we are in the book of Acts right now. For those of you that don't know, my wife Ann and I are planting a church in South Nashville, and so I love Acts because Acts is church planting 101. And I love the power of the Holy Spirit that's showcased so clearly throughout Acts. I love the apostles' faith and the miraculous things that occur. But I think a lot of times when we read Acts, we read it as if it's just some story, like something that just possibly happened. We read it and we think, wow, that sounds really cool that God moved in that power. Or maybe we come up with just some metaphor of how it applies to our lives, like in the text we're gonna read today, when the apostles are arrested and set free from prison. We think, well, we were captive to our sin and God set us free and that's true, he did. But what I want us to consider today is that this story and these stories in the Bible aren't just hypothetical stories that are cool to read about. These are things that literally happened. And as it says in Acts 5.15, that the power of the Spirit was so present upon Peter that people would bring others on mats just to get in his shadow so that they might be healed. And we read that and we're like, that sounds cool, but we don't sit in the awe and wonder of the power of God that moved there. Or we see in places like Acts chapter nine that a woman named Dorcas is raised from the dead. Yet we glance over those type of things. And so the question I want us to ask today is what if this actually happened? What if this actually occurred? What if God actually moved this in, in this kind of power? What if the spirit of God that rose Jesus from the grave, it was alive in the apostles and moving? And what if that same spirit is alive in us today and is moving in power? And what I hope that we see is that the spirit of God is moving in the world and we can listen and obey. And so what I'm gonna do today is I'm going to first challenge the way that many of us subconsciously think about God and encourage you to something bigger. And then lastly, I'm gonna offer some ways we can recognize and respond to God's call. And if you're the note-taking type, I've called this message the problem when we're like Gamaliel. And as someone said this morning, they're like, I don't know what Gamaliel means. Well, Gamaliel is one of the characters in this story. And what I hope that you see is that if we as a church are just like Gamaliel, we will miss out on operating in the power of the Holy Spirit that I believe God wants to use in us to advance his purpose in the world. And I know today we've got people watching who are in all sorts of different places in your faith journey. Some of you maybe stumbled upon this on TV or Facebook or somehow on our website and you don't know about Jesus. To you, I'm so glad that you're watching. I believe that you're here on purpose and not by accident and I pray that God speaks to you. For others that are curious about Jesus and are trying to learn more about him, maybe everything going on in the world right now is so crazy that it makes you wonder if there is a God. I hope that you see that the God of the Bible is real and far more powerful than we can comprehend. And for the rest of us, whether you've been a Christian for five minutes or 50 years, God wants to grow us closer to him and closer in obedience. So with that, we're gonna be looking at a passage in Acts chapter five, verses 17 through 42. 
And prior to this story in Acts 4, Peter and John have been instructed by the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council, not to speak in Jesus' name. And we see in verse 20 that they say, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Cannot but speak. This is a double negative in Greek, that we cannot not speak, that we are unable, we are without power to not speak. Why? They have to speak about it because they've seen and heard something so amazing, which is exactly what Jesus said would happen in Acts 1.8. He said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. And that's exactly what happens here. And so this is a long text. So I'm gonna read pieces and summarize pieces, but I encourage you to go back and read the whole thing for yourself. So starting in verse 17. But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees. And filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. And pause right there. That word brought them out is the word used in Exodus and also again in Acts, referring to the Exodus, where Moses led people out of captivity in Egypt. In other words, this is saying that this bringing them out of prison was not a human endeavor. It was a God endeavor. They were set free by God. And continuing on, and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. I find it so powerful that they didn't wait three days or six days or six weeks to go back to the place where they were arrested. Where did they go? They went right back to the same place when, when God told them to do it. They didn't wait. Now when the high priest came and those who were with them, they called together the council and all the Senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But what did they find? They didn't find the apostles. They didn't find them in prison. Why? Because God had set them free. And we see in verse 24, that now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And that word there, perplexed, is the same word used in Acts 2. After the Holy Spirit descends upon the early church at Pentecost, and people start speaking in all sorts of languages, and people were perplexed about what happened. So if they don't find them, turns out the apostles were right under their nose. They were already in the temple preaching. But it turns out they were actually afraid now to go and arrest these men. Why? Because the people were flocking to hear their message. And it says that the officers went and got them, but not by force because they were afraid of being stoned. And they brought them to the Jewish high council. And then we see on in verse 28 saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. I think this turn of events is so ironic because the Pharisees and the religious council was worried about an intention of charges about blood being brought on them. The disciples respond and say, there's no wish or desire about bringing blood upon your hands. You've got the blood on your hands because you killed Jesus. They're super bold. So you'll hopefully see throughout this passage. But then it goes on to say in verse 33, you can pull that back up. It says, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. And that word for the intention to bring charges against them is the same word for wanted to kill them. 
It's so funny. They were worried about blood being brought on their hands. It was already on their hands, and what were they gonna do? They actually wanted to get more blood on their hands. So going on to verse 34. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And then we go on to see that he tells of two men, two men who amassed followers. And then when they died, their movement died out. And so he goes on to say in verse 38, so in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Will you pray with me? Most heavenly Father, thank you that you are here with us. And Lord, I pray right now in this place, wherever people are watching from, that you speak to us, open up our hearts to receive what you have in store for for us, open up our ears to hear you, and open up our hands and feet to go where you lead us. And Lord, as I speak, I pray the words that come out of my mouth are of you, and everything else will fade away. Lord, may your name be the name that is above every name, and may your name be lifted high in this place right now, and in all these homes across our city, across our state, and wherever people are watching from. Lord, we love you, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So there's a lot in this text. A lot I could focus on. We could look at the persecution of the early church. We could talk about people being put in prison for unfair reasons. We could talk about the high priest. But today, we're going to look at one character, Gamaliel. And I want us to think about why it's a problem if we, as Christians, if those of us who are Jesus followers, why it's a problem if we're like Gamaliel. And why it's a serious problem if our churches are filled with people like Gamaliel's. And before we dive into that, I wanna preface this conversation. First, if your name happens to be Gamaliel and you're watching, I'm not necessarily talking about you. But if your name happens to be Gamaliel and you're watching, maybe there's a purpose in it. and Maybe God wants to speak to you. And secondly, it's important for us to note that Gamaliel was not a Jesus follower. He was a person of peace and God used him allowing the disciples to continue on with what they're doing. He took control of the situation, putting the apostles outside. So what I'm not doing is attempting to bash Gamaliel, but what I am saying is that it is a major, major problem if churches are filled with people like Gamaliel or if I am like Gamaliel. So what do we know about this man? We know from this text in Acts 5 that he was a Pharisee, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people. Then outside of the Bible, we also know from the Mishnah, which was the first major work of rabbinic literature that said this. It said, since Rabbi Gamaliel, the elder died, there has been no more reverence for the law and purity and abstinence died out at the same time. In other words, this man loved the law of God. He cared about purity. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I mean, this guy was highly esteemed. But we also know from scripture that he was Paul's teacher, We see in Acts 22, three, that Paul says this. He says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of your fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. So clearly this man had an incredible influence. Now, keep in mind that Paul, before he was Paul, was a guy named Saul and Saul did persecute Christians. So maybe Gamaliel let these people pass here, but 
the guy he trained up, persecuted Christians and had them killed, as we'll see in Acts chapter seven with a man named Stephen. So those are the, some of the things we know. And now I want us to consider why we shouldn't be like Gamaliel. And I'm gonna give you three problems with the church full of Gamaliels. And these are related and build on each other. The first one is that Gamaliels are more mindful of self-preservation than God's interest. Gamaliels are more mindful of self-preservation than God's interest. What is Gamaliel's argument based on? Hey, watch out. Be careful what you do to these guys because if this is man, it's gonna sort itself out. But if this is of God, you find yourself being God's enemy. That sounds good, right? Even theologically, like, like, yeah, if this isn't God, like it's gonna crash and burn. It's not gonna work out. But what's the problem with this? He doesn't ask the question, what if we're wrong? And what if this is God? Because if this is God, his response has nothing to do with joining God's work. He doesn't say, if the apostles are right and we did kill Jesus and Jesus is the Messiah and Jesus did die and raise again and he did give his Holy Spirit to his followers. We need to repent and we need to be in the temple preaching with those men. That's not what he says. He says, hold up, we don't wanna be in trouble. We don't wanna get that blood on our hands. Why? It keeps our hands clean, right? We don't wanna oppose God, really? Well, the apostles weren't killed, but they were still beaten, right? And the word that's used there talks about them being flogged, which we don't know how many times they were beaten, but typically it was 39. I think it was two on the front and one on the back. May have been less, we don't know. You don't want blood on your hands, (laughs) really? And I find it interesting in this text that no one seems really concerned with whether or not it's God. I find it interesting that no one asked the apostles, how did you guys get out of prison? They were guarded. It says people were perplexed, but when they got before the high council, they said, we told you not to preach. Man, if I was there, I would hope, and maybe I wouldn't, but I would hope I would ask, how in the world did you escape prison? That's ridiculous. How'd you get out of there? And then you did escape prison. Why'd you come back to the place where we knew you would be and where we would arrest you? No one stops and asks that question. And we see some other related things. We see the officers who arrested the disciples seem to be afraid of the people, which interestingly enough, this is what happened with Jesus before he was arrested. People were afraid to make a move on him because they were afraid of what the people would do until it was Jesus's time. So Gamaliel seems not to be worried about joining in God's work. And the text says this about the high priest and the Sadducees. So we don't know if it says it about Gamaliel, but in verse 17, it says that they were filled with jealousy. They were filled with jealousy. And I think most of us know what jealousy means. And in this text, I think the Pharisees and the high priest and the council were jealous for their own power, their own influence, afraid of being made a fool of or being wrong because they were facing these uneducated and unimpressive men. And if that offends you that I'm calling them that, that's from Acts chapter four. They're called unimpressive, uneducated men. They're afraid of losing their power and influence to these people. And what I wanna point out here is that there's a difference here with this word with jealousy um, and a word called zeal or being zealous. This word that's used there for jealousy in some other places means zeal or being zealous. And in a good sense, it's expressing active enthusiasm or ardent affection. 
It's quoted in John 2, 17, referencing the Greek text of Psalm 69, talking about zeal for your house, zeal for God's house will consume me. In Isaiah 26, 11, it talks about God's zeal for his people. In Isaiah 9, 7, after talking about, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, that famous text that we talk about at Christmas time, it says that God's zeal will accomplish his purposes. So there's a difference here. We have on one hand, the high priest and the Sadducees and those who are with him, filled with jealousy, caring about their own self-preservation, their own power, their own influence, what people think about them. And you have the apostles who seem to be consumed by a desire for God's house to grow and expand, for the name of Jesus to be known and made known in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. And we also see the second play on words here with this phrase, filled with jealousy. The high priest was filled with jealousy, but the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit. This phrase is what was used in Acts 2-4 at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit descended upon the early church and filled the place with the Holy Spirit. It's also in Acts 4 in the other account with Peter and John in front of the Jewish council. It says that these uneducated, unimpressive men were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then we see it in verse 31 of chapter 4, right before this event in chapter 5 where the believers got together and prayed for boldness. It says, and when they had prayed, the place which they gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Have you ever been in a room when it felt like the room shook because you prayed because of the power of the Holy Spirit of God? So we see this contrast. The high priest's, Sadducees, potentially Gamaliel, we don't know, filled with jealousy, caring about their own self-preservation, their own power, their own influence, whether people like them or not. And these men, the apostles, these uneducated, unimpressive men, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit of God, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, who were not afraid to get arrested, who were not afraid to get killed, who were not afraid to do anything why? Because they were consumed by a zeal and a passion for the name of Jesus to be made known in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. And so my question for us is, are we more consumed with a desire for ourselves to be preserved, for our own power, our own influence, our own having people like us, or are we consumed with a passion to make Jesus's name known regardless of what it costs us? And to be honest, sometimes my answer is being more filled with jealousy for my own influence than it is about Jesus's name being known. What is it for you? Are you so mindful of keeping yourself safe or so afraid of messing up that you fail to follow Jesus? Because the good news of the gospel isn't about self-preservation, which leads us to our second problem when we are like Gamaliel. It's that we ask the wrong question. We ask the wrong question. What was his first question? It seems to be, what if we're wrong? He asked, what if we're wrong instead of, what if this is God? We ask, what if we're wrong instead of what is this is God? And to see how that plays out, I'll give you, I don't even know how many examples I have in my life of asking this question wrongly, but being in the grocery store or out to eat or something and you feel God potentially prompting you to go and talk with a stranger you don't know, to pray with them, to share the gospel, Sorry, my microphone fell off my ear. Aaron, could you hand me a handheld? <laughs> Thank you. Well, what if we're wrong, like my microphone just did the wrong thing? 
We ask what if we're wrong instead of what if it's God? We find ourselves in a grocery store or somewhere. Friday night, I was in my car uh, driving to my in-law's house and I sensed maybe God prompting me to talk with this man who was on the side of the street. And you know what I did when I was at that red light? To be honest, I sat there and I thought, well, what do, what do I do? Do I talk with him? Do I not? And I sat there asking that question, what if I'm wrong? Or did God really tell me to do this? The entire time I was there until I left. And I was reminded, as God graciously reminds you, hey, you're preaching about following God's voice on, on Sunday. And there I was asking that question, what if I'm wrong? And don't get me wrong, that's not inherently a bad question, but please, please, please keep in mind that the first page of the devil's playbook in Genesis chapter three, the first words out of the devil's mouth in scripture are, did God actually say? Did God actually say, don't eat of that fruit? And the enemy would love, would love to get us to think we're being discerning when we're listening to the devil. God calls us to go and share the gospel. God calls us to go and pray with someone. God calls us to go and care for someone who's hurting and broken. And instead we stop and we just sit and wait. Did God actually say? Fair question, right? But what if it's God? What if it's God? And what if our problem for most of us is not as much of a discernment problem as it is an obedience problem? What if we have fallen short of listening to the call and the voice of God to go and do what he says to do because we are literally falling for page one of the devil's playbook. Did God actually say, listen, we have to be more committed to God than even our ability to discern whether or not something is God's voice because God's not off in the clouds playing hide and seek, playing hard to get. Although sometimes we're wondering as the psalmist cries out, how long, Lord, will you hide your face from me? But the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the grave is alive in us today. It's not some lesser spirit. Jesus doesn't say, yeah, I'm gonna give you half the spirit that I had when I rose from the grave. No, he says, the spirit of God that rose Jesus from the grave is alive in us today. The same spirit that was at work in the early church is alive now in us. It's not a half Holy Spirit, a diluted Holy Spirit, a junior Holy Spirit. All believers of Jesus have the same Holy Spirit. The question is, are we listening? Are we listening and are we doing what God says? And we see this in John 10, three through four. This is Jesus talking. He says, the sheep, hear his, Jesus's voice. What do they do? They hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. And then later in verse 27, it says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they, what? They follow me. Listen, oftentimes for you and for me and for our churches, it's less of a discernment problem and more of an obedience problem. And perhaps some of us have gotten in the habit of taking the, did God actually say as a discernment question when actually we're just using it to cause us to wait because we don't wanna listen. I'm guilty of that so many times. And we've gotta stop asking as our first question, what if I'm wrong? Instead of what if this is God? An example in my own life is I've mentioned that my wife and I feel 
called to plant a church. And so we've taken steps to do that. And I can't tell you how many what if questions have come up with that. What if people don't show up? What if I'm not good at being a pastor? What if I'm not good at preaching every week? What if I'm too young? What if, what if, what if, what if? What if people do come and what if we fail? What if people donate and we fail? But what if this is God? And what if God's moving? And what if God wants to use this to bring people to come to know him? I've seen God move in such powerful ways in putting my whole life on the line. And maybe for you, it's not a change of career. It's not a change of where God's leading you. It's just a small thing. And so I encourage you, next time you're in the grocery store or out to eat, ask that question. What if this is God? Framing our question the wrong way leads us to a posture of inaction instead of one of action, which is the third problem when we are like Gamaliel, a posture of inaction instead of one of action. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. This sounds oddly similar to Gamaliel, doesn't it? If we're wrong, this thing is gonna sort itself out. But if you're here today, I hope that at least you're questioning, well, what if this is right? Paul talks about counting everything as lost for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And we know and we believe that Christ not only did die, but he also rose again and that he also gave his Holy Spirit and that he is also coming back. And so we need to live like that is actually true. The message of the gospel isn't just a get out of hell free card. It changes everything. Obedience and following God isn't just not doing the wrong thing. Following God is about doing the right thing. James 4, 17 talks about whoever knows the right thing to do and yet fails to do it for him, it is sin. How many of us have sins of omission, sins by not doing the things that God calls us to do? Yeah, we come to church. Yeah, we try not to cuss. Yeah, we try not to drink too much. Yeah, whatever. Are you doing what God calls you to do? Man, I can tell you, I've seen people who exemplify who Jesus is far better than church people do, who probably say a few too bad words and do all sorts of other stuff that maybe they shouldn't do. But man, they love their neighbor. They're giving, they're generous. What's my first response? Self-preservation. I feel the Lord call me to give. What's my first response? No, that's mine. I don't want to give. Obedience is about doing the right thing. And we can't be so concerned about doing the wrong thing that we miss out on things of God. We wanna be people of faith, then we have to be able to take risks. So how do we move from people of inaction to people of action? How do we recklessly obey God? And I wanna give you five tips. These aren't all the tips I could say, and I'm not a perfect person at this, but I wanna give you five tips about how to discern God's voice and do what he says. First, rest in God, rest in God. And what I mean by this is first, believe that it's God who actually is the one who accomplishes things. 
We see in the Bible that the Spirit is the one who gives faith. The Spirit is the one who brings people to repentance. Our job in the process is really crazily simple. Be faithful and obedient. Do what God says, and God's going to accomplish what God wants to do. And secondly, with that, I think Sabbath is actually something that's really, really important for us to learn to listen to God's voice, learning to rest in God's presence. Ruth Barton talks about that the Sabbath reminds us that we are human beings and not human doings. And on the Sabbath, when we take a day off from doing things, we are reminded that God is still working. He's still moving. He's still accomplishing what he wants to. And so we rest in God's power and his strength. The second thing is to listen to God that we cultivate a posture of listening through prayer, through fasting, and through reading God's word. What does God's voice sound like? It sounds awfully like the book he's given us. Oftentimes for me, it comes up even in a form of the scripture that I memorized when I was younger. I'll be in a conversation with someone and I'm reminded of James 1. Let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And I'm convicted in that moment. Maybe my response here is not to speak what I think's right, but my response is to listen. It sounds oddly like God's voice. I've told this to our students, but it comes from cultivating intimacy with God. When my wife Anna calls me, I know regardless of what phone she calls me from, it's God. Not God, it's Anna. Anna's gonna make fun of me for saying that too. (laughs) Anna is not God. She's great. But my point is, I know it's Anna regardless of what phone she calls me from. When we cultivate intimacy with God and we know what his voice sounds like, it's easier to tell that this was in fact God. And then the third thing we do is we seek confirmation. And this needs to be an active process and not a passive process. And I'm chief of sinners on this. We call it discernment, but we're really just being lazy or being disobedient. We sit and wonder, is this God? But then we don't do anything. We say, I'm gonna pray about it, but actually we already know we're not gonna do it and we don't pray about it and we don't actually seek God. So first with this, if it's a bigger decision, I encourage you to pray and fast about it. Scripture talks about when you pray and when you fast to do it these ways. Secondly, check it with God's word. If it's not in accordance with God's word, what do you know? It's not of God. If you hear a voice in your head saying, you should go steal this, that's not of God. Why? Because that's not in accordance with his word. Secondly, look at it in accordance with God's character because not everything that God calls you to do is going to be like a direct translation. So if God puts it on your heart, hey, call your uncle Tim today. Like, well, I don't see that in uh, Acts anywhere. Like, how am I supposed to call uncle Tim? Check it with God's character. Luke, um, actually, which Luke and Acts were written kind of as one big unit. The beginning of Luke says, it seemed good to me, O excellent Theophilus, that I write to you these things. And I love that phrase, that it seemed good. So sometimes when God calls us to do things, we check it with God's word, we check it with God's character, and it seemed good with who God was and seemed like what God was calling me to do, so we did it. And then thirdly, you can check it with God's people. And I wanna preface this by saying that not all opinions are created equal. And I think this is really important. Check it with spirit-led people. If you're not a person who has learned to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, maybe you shouldn't be offering advice on whether or not something's of God if you don't know that in your own life. Check it with the right people. Then fourth, pray. Ask the Lord to show you if you've heard wrong. 
Say, God, I think this is of you. I've checked it with your word and who you are, and this seems to be of you, so I'm gonna go and I'm gonna do this. Please show me if I'm wrong. But our posture has to be one of action and obedience and not disobedience. Because sometimes I'm guilty of this. We pray, Lord, if this is of you, will you send a turtle dove that's carrying a Cheez-It and let the Cheez-It drop in the palm of my hand and I'll catch it and then I'll know it's you. And then what happens? Even the Cheez-It drops in your hand and you're like, well, that's a little bit of a toasty Cheez-It. I don't really think that was you, God. Pray and ask God to show you if you're wrong. And then fifth, this is really simple, do it. Do it. I remember when I was in college, I started trying to figure out how do I listen to God's voice and I would be, was an RA, and so I often felt the Lord prompt me to go and pray with people. And I remember one day in particular, I was like, since the Lord called me to go outside my room and ask this guy if I could pray for him, and he told me no. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, no worries, I did it, I feel good. Um, he came back to me a couple hours later and said, man, I am so sorry I said that. That was really rude of me. I've actually been really burned by the church. And we had this hour-long conversation about God, Right? We've gotta be committed to following God where he leads. And we've gotta remember that he goes before, behind, and all around us. Deuteronomy 3, I mean, 31, eight says, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. So do not fear or be dismayed. And then I wanna close with this from Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. This is the message version. It says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God is an offering. And I love this, embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You will be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. So when God calls you to do something, I'm not trying for this to be simplistic, but it is simple, do it. Listen, will you pray with me? God, we thank you so much that you are here with us across the city, across our state, wherever people are watching from. And Lord, I pray that you empower us with your Holy Spirit to be the people that you want us to be, to go and tell people about you, that you actually came, that you actually died, and that you actually rose again, and that you actually have given us, your church, the Holy Spirit. And so Lord, help us to be a church empowered by your Holy Spirit. Help us to listen and do what you say. In Jesus' name, amen. And maybe you're watching today and you don't know much about this Jesus person. Well, one of our staff would love to talk to you. I encourage you to comment on Facebook or call our church phones and talk with someone. I believe God it might be calling you to himself. And maybe you need to repent for not listening. <laughs> ask God to help you learn his voice and to do what he says. And ask the question, what if this right now even is God speaking to you? How are you gonna respond?